morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. This week was a big week for the NFL, as well as if you were born or raised in Canton or the greater Canton, Maslin area. Do we have any people in here born in the Canton, Maslin area? Besides me. Okay, good. And my friends back there. Okay. It was the announcement of the 2020 class of the NFL Hall of Fame. And they will be inducted this summer into the Hall of Fame in August. And so this week, there were a couple videos online that were really good. One of them is Coach Bill Cowher, and one of them is Jimmy Johnson, Coach Jimmy Johnson, and they're being told that they're going into the Hall of Fame. And this was unusual because they were both actually on the set doing their thing for Fox and CBS, and in walks David Baker, the president of the NFL Hall of Fame, and he interrupts them and tells them they're going to be in. But the one that really stuck out to me was Jimmy Johnson. He's standing here, and then there are four Hall of Famers right here beside him. And in walks David Baker, a mountain of a man, 400 pounds, six foot nine. And he walks down the line and he goes, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. And then he gets to Jimmy Johnson. And by then, Jimmy Johnson can't even talk, and there's tears forming in his eyes. And he says, Jimmy, because of the contributions you've made to the game of football and what you will do in the future, you're going to be the 328th inductee into the Hall of Fame in Canton this summer. And the thing is that got Jimmy Johnson there and Bill Cowher and anybody else that goes into the Hall of Fame is that they were the the cream of the cream. They were a cut above the rest. They were the best at their craft. And so this morning, though, we are going to be talking about chapter 11. And it is viewed as the Hall of Fame. That's the Hall of Fame of Faith. That's its nickname. And we are going to be looking at people in this chapter that are heroes to us. And their stories are to inspire us. They are to encourage us and help us to not give up. So I want to share one other Hall of Fame related story. Over the years, I mean, it's been there my whole life. And so when the kids were older, we would go up and see my mom and dad and we would go to the parade like I did when I was a kid. And we would go to Fawcett Stadium and we'd throw the football with them. They would race on the artificial field right outside the Hall of Fame. And they did that for years. And so we were there in December to see my aunt. We went through the park to see the lights. So my son that's 30, Kyle, says to my son that's 33, hey, you want to race? And Andy, now being responsible at 33, says, I really have a bad cold. I can't race. One minute later, they're lined up on this field. It's cold, and they're racing down there like they did as kids. Just lots of good memories with the Hall of Fame. A lot of years, we'd go to the parade. We'd get up at 5 a.m., go get our favorite donuts, and jostle our way up, and be right there on Cleveland Avenue to watch the parade. But there was a year in 2020 that really stands out because the, the 2010 induction class had one of my favorite guys in it. My guy was going to be inducted. And so here he comes. Um, it's, it's interesting when you go to the parade because like anybody else in a the parade, they do their parade wave. But with NFL players that are old, when they are doing it, their fingers are like this because they're all broken and busted up, you know. And so they're coming down and here comes my guy. And my son, Kyle, has always said, let's stop taking pictures and live in the moment. Anybody else ever been tell you that? And so here comes my guy. And what do I do? I pull out my camera. And here he comes. And I'm like, and I take it the whole way. And then all of a sudden, I realize what happened. 
Jerry Rice was 10 feet in front of me. One of the NFL's all-time greatest receivers. I love to watch Jerry Rice highlights. He's 10 feet in front of me, and I watched Jerry Rice through a tiny little hole. I got pictures that I've never looked at since. I could have got much better pictures looking on the Internet. And I could have watched him and got a picture and seen what he was like right up close 10 feet away. This morning, as we talk about these Hall of Famers, I want you to think about them being right here with us this morning. Don't have a Jerry Rice moment when we're talking about King David. Think, yeah, yeah, King David's in the Bible. Think about King David standing up here. And he's literally talking to you. And he leans forward and he shakes your hand. Maybe your jaw's going to be on the ground, but you know, you pick it up and you listen to what King David has to say. Maybe you look into the eyes of Rahab as she takes your hand and she speaks into your soul. So let's get started this morning. We learned last week in chapter 12, it starts out, therefore, chapter 12 builds on everything that is in chapter 11. So if you open your Bibles to chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so I first want to look at verse 2 because this is important that everybody in this chapter is noted for the fact that they were commended for their faith. Their faith yielded works, of course, but it was their faith that got them in here. Then we look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And what that simply means is the creator God did not take visible things and make the universe. He created out of nothing. It's referred to as, you'll hear people say, God created ex nihilo. He created something out of nothing. And the fact that he is our creator God and the scriptures tell us that through Jesus, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, that is the foundation of our faith. That's our starting point that we recognize him as the creator God. And now we go to verse 11, where it, verse 1, where it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, we have confidence and assurance, but it's not just based on what we can't see. It's what we've already seen. We can look at the universe and see that it is made by God's hands. Then we can look and see how the prophecies of the Old Testament all the way through 700, 1,000 years before Jesus were fulfilled in Jesus' coming. We know that the historical Jesus was crucified and in the tomb for three days and then arose and turned the world upside down. And so now we move forward based upon the promises that have been fulfilled in this book as well as promises that we know will come in the future. And that's where we get our assurance and our confidence that we act on what we know God is going to do as we go forward. We know that if we are a Christian and if we were to die in five minutes, it wouldn't matter because then we are going to be in heaven with our Heavenly Father. We know that despite all the junk going on around us, that God will sustain us. And so we have confidence and assurance. But it says that we have hope, and this is not hope as in like, well, I sure hope so. 
I hope that happens. This is a state of hope. We live in a state of hope. We get up every day and we are faithful. We exercise our faith and that gives us hope all day long because we have that confidence. We have assurance of what is going to happen. That is our ability to have joy even in some of the worst times because we know we are in a right relationship with Jesus and he is going to sustain us. And so that is a very basic definition of faith that we find in the scriptures. And that is what these heroes of the faith are in there for is because they were commended for it. So let's take a look at the first one. Let's look at verse four. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks. Pay attention to that last verse. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So this is pretty much all we know about Abel. He was a shepherd. He brought really good uh, offerings to the Lord. His brother Cain, he did not. Abel was commended for his offerings, and Cain killed him. Abel's big thing was he was the first murderer in the Bible. I don't know if anybody really aspires to that. But he didn't do anything famous, but here he is in the Faith Hall of Fame. And if Abel was standing here and he was looking into your face and you were shaking his hand, I think he would tell you, listen, you know, I didn't do anything special. I was commended for my faith and my righteousness. My life was pretty mundane. I just did the right thing. And he would say to you, you know, you might get up every day and go, man, I'm trying to be faithful, but I don't see any big important things happening. And he would say, just do the right thing every day. And whatever you do, don't give up. Maybe you're young parents and you're bringing your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Or maybe you have teenagers, you just wonder, am I doing the right thing? And Abel would say, just keep your head down and keep plowing along. And just do the right thing. We go to verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If Enoch was talking to us, he may say something like, you know what, I made it into the Faith Hall of Fame because I lived a life where I simply pleased the Lord. And he would also want to tell you, keep in mind that you can't please the Lord without faith. And sometimes when our faith is wavering, sometimes it's because we're not feeding it. And we have to keep in mind that we have to be in God's word. We have to be praying. It's really good to be in a life group and a D group. That's a shameless promotion of something I totally believe in. And feed and nurture your faith. But I think what he would tell us is that, listen, I know that you have all these pressures all over. Maybe you're a senior in high school and you have all these pressures about where you're going to go to school. Maybe you're just in high school, middle school, and all the pressures of friendship. And you're like, what do I do? What do I do? Maybe you're trying to figure out what to do with your 401k. Maybe you're trying to figure out about the financial problems that you're having or your family dynamics are blowing up, have blown up and you're trying to weather those and everything's crashing down on you. You're like, I don't know what to focus on first. And I think Enoch would say, hey, 
I'm in the Hall of Fame because I pleased the Lord. Above everything up, get, get up in the morning and with your faith, just seek to please the Lord all day long and everything else comes second. And whatever you do, don't give up. Let's jump over to verse 22. By faith, Joseph. So we know it's just natural that Joseph would be in there. And you know, Joseph had a rough go. He was anointed the favorite child and his brothers hated him. They hated him so bad that they human trafficked him. For 20 shekels, they sold him to Egyptians into slavery. And so he goes into slavery and he's given control of Potiphar's house. Well, after a while, Potiphar's wife decides that Joseph's a pretty handsome dude and she comes on to him. And he rejects her. And then she falsely accuses him of sexual assault. And he ends up in prison. He languishes and he goes from slavery to prison. And then he's in there for a couple years and then he is brought out because he can interpret dreams. And so he interprets the dreams of Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I'm going to put you in charge of everything in Egypt. You will only be second to me. And so Joseph leads Egypt through seven years of great abundance as far as grain and harvest goes. And then he leads them through seven years of famine. During that time of famine, it's all over the land and and Joseph's family is up in their part of the country and they are starving. And so they send the brothers who sold him into slavery down to get grain. To make a long story short, he eventually reveals himself. They come down into Egypt to live. But if Joseph was here today, I think a message that he would give us is this. Man, I had a messed up childhood. We had, I think there were three wives at least to my dad and lots of half brothers and they hated my guts. And then they sold me into slavery and then I ended up in prison. But you don't know what is happening in your particular situation. Maybe your family situation was terrible, but you may not see how God is using you now. He may actually be working through you, through your pain of your childhood to bring good to other people. You may be the one that leads your family, that leaves a legacy where you bring your children up in the faith. And maybe yours is the first family that then turns around and they have more Christians and then those those kids have more Christians and you start a lineage of Christians coming out of your family. And he would tell us, don't live in your childhood. Don't, Don't stay there move forward because you don't know what God is doing and whatever you do, don't give up. Let's jump over to 24. By faith, Moses. Now Moses is an interesting guy because he was brought up in an Egyptian household and then he ran away. He's, he's out in the country. He's herding sheep. And then God speaks to him in a fiery bush and tells him, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. I've heard their cries. Now, you would think most of us, if we saw a burning bush and God talking to us, we'd be like, oh yeah, whatever you tell us. But if you read this chapter on Moses, he's got more excuses than anybody. 
And he just keeps coming, well, what about this? What about this? And, he, and, and God even says, hey, I, I can show you a couple miracles you can do, so they'll believe who you are. Throw your staff down. And he throws it down. It turns into a snake, and he runs. He says, now pick up the snake. He picks it up. It goes back to being a staff. He says, put your hand inside your cloak. And he pulls it out, and his hand is bright white with leprosy. He puts it back in, and it comes out, and it's okay. He says, show those miracles to the Israelites, and they'll know you're from And Just in case if they don't listen to you, go get some water out of the Nile and pour it on the ground, and it'll turn to blood. Then he says, yeah, but you don't understand, Lord. I am slow in speech. Now you can tell God's getting like, this is amazing. This guy is unbelievable. So finally, he says, okay, I'm going to send your brother. But ultimately what Moses says is, can you just send somebody else? To which God answers, no. And so off Moses goes. So here's the thing, is he goes down there, and almost right from the beginning, when he starts to lead the Israelites, they start to grumble. And then they watch him through the power of God bring ten plagues onto the Egyptians. And then he leads them across dry ground through the Red Sea. They see because of Moses, because of his relationship with God, that God feeds them with manna and quail. They see that God leads them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. But the interesting thing is, you would think all of us would be like, oh yeah, we, we know God is with Moses. The Israelites grumbled nonstop. In fact, at one point they wanted to kill him. They wanted to go back into slavery. They thought that would be better. He disappeared up a mountain to talk to God and he was gone for 40 days. And they said, hey, that fellow Moses... He must be dead or something to that effect. They uh, make a golden calf and start to party. And if I think if Moses was standing here, I think what he would say to us is, first of all, I got off to a really rough start with the Lord. I mean, he kept calling me and calling me and calling me, telling me what to do. And I resisted and resisted. I have every excuse in the book. And maybe God's calling you to do something. And he's laying on your heart to do something or go to somebody or go do something. And Moses would say, don't resist, go. But I think an even bigger thing is Moses would say, listen, I had God with me. And all I experienced, I experienced so much opposition. I experienced so much grumbling, so much uh, just people that were not grateful and maybe you're in a situation where in, within your own family unit, you have a lot of opposition. You have a lot of pushback. Maybe you're trying to lead your family to the Lord and you're experiencing a lot of grumbling. I think Moses would tell you, listen, if you're going to be a person of faith, you have to understand that opposition is part of it. And whatever you do, you just keep doing what you're doing and don't give up. Let's jump down to verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, she was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab, the prostitute, is in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So, Joshua sent a couple spies over into Jericho 
they were going to take that city and he wanted it spied out. So he sends these two young guys over there and I don't know what the deal was. They end up in Rahab's house. And so she tells them, it's almost like a confession of faith. She says, listen, we're all terrified because we know what the Israelite nation, the the power and the strength that you have. And then she says these words, she said, your God is the God of heaven and your God is the God of earth. We see that she has a faith. And then she tells them that if you will protect me, I'll protect you guys. So the people come looking for these two guys, and she says, oh, yeah, they left at dusk. I didn't know who they were. And she's got them hidden upstairs under a bunch of uh, flax stalks. And then once the search party has headed off into the wilderness to look for them, then she lets them out of the window and they go hide for three days, and then they make it back to Joshua. Fast forward, and the Israelites come, and of course they take the city of Jericho, and those two guys go in and rescue Rahab and her family, and it says that then she lived with the Israelites after that. Think about this. A prostitute is in the hall of fame of faith. Look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. Rahab is in Jesus' genealogy. The vast majority of scholars think that that's her. So now, what would Rahab say to us? I think she would take our hand and she'd look in our eyes and just say, listen, I don't don't know what your past was, but you'd have a hard time coming up with one worse than mine. I took care of the whole city of Jericho. And here I am in the hall of fame of faith with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Gideon. When we become Christians, we become a new person. That's what the scriptures tell us. The old is gone and the new is here. Jesus meets us in baptism, cuts away the old part, and all those sins are gone and and we walk in newness of life. And she would tell you that I am saved by grace And whatever your past is, is exactly that. It is the past. And you cannot live there. Christians don't look back. They only look forward. Satan will whisper in your ear, you're not worthy. But Christians need to go, that's Satan talking. And Rahab would say, no, 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 you just look straight ahead. You you look to the end and not the past. And whatever you do, don't give up. We jump down to verse 32, and we see that David's in the Hall of Fame. That's an expected one. David's famous for slaying Goliath the giant. There's some backstory to this. He spent a lot of his time. He was so successful that his boss, King Saul, wanted to kill him, even though he was already to be the king of Israel. And so Saul threw a spear at him two different times. That's not good. And so he spent all this time running, and eventually David would go on then to be crowned king of Israel. But then the wheels really start to fall off. David should have been out to battle with his army in the spring, but he stayed back. And so when he did stay back, he saw a beautiful woman on the top of a, uh, of a house, and 
it was Bathsheba, and he had her brought to him, and he got her pregnant. Now, the thing is, she was married to one of his trusted commanders, Uriah. So now he goes into cover-up mode. He brings Uriah in from the battlefield, and he says, Hey, Uriah, welcome home from the battlefield. Hey, go hang out with your, your wife. He was hoping that she, he would go sleep with his wife, and then once she got pregnant, you know, that came out. and was, Hey, congratulations, Uriah. Cover-up complete. But it didn't work because Uriah was so faithful. He's like, how could I ever go do that when my men are on the battlefield? So David even steps low, stoops lower. He gets him drunk the next day. Then he sends him home. And he just sleeps drunk outside because he would not go in with his wife while his men were on the battlefield. And then the worst part of it is he has a letter that he wrote and he hands it to Uriah and Uriah carries it to Joab, the commander on the field, and Joab opens it up and it says, put Uriah at the front of the battle so he is killed. And David, in essence, murders Uriah through war. Some bad stuff. Talk about children that have gone off the rail. His son Absalom, who the, he loved dearly, he killed his brother Amnon. And then he decides he wants to be king and starts a revolt against his own dad and wants to kill his own dad. And during that revolt, then Absalom has killed himself and David grieves. But David finished the race and he was faithful. And I think if David was standing here and he was shaking our hand, of course, he's one of the greatest leaders in all the world ever in history. He's mentioned to only second to Jesus in the Bible. He would say, listen, I had plenty of mistakes but I just kept going along. And the scriptures tell us in Acts 13, 22, and when he had removed him, when God had removed King Saul, he raised up David to be king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do everything I want him to do. So in spite of all of David's flaws, he just continued to do the things that God called him to do. And he would say, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. What matters is what you do in the future. It doesn't matter if your family's a disaster. Just keep doing the right thing going forward. There's two guys that are not mentioned in the Hall of Fame specifically. At the very end of chapter 11, it talks about basically Christians that were sawed in two, they were uh, run around in caves, they were just, these were the nameless, faceless Jackson Jills that were just common folk like us. And it says that God commended them for their faith. But we would know that if we had an update, let's say an updated verse, because probably when Hebrews was written, Peter and, and Paul would have been carrying on their business at that time, but they would be in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And if you look at Peter, I mean, look, this is a guy that spent three years with Jesus, saw thousands of miracles probably. And then on the night Jesus is betrayed, he denies that he even knows him. The writer Luke tells us that when the rooster crowed three times, Jesus looked over at Peter 
And Peter went out and wept bitterly. But the cool thing is, is that even though he had been with Jesus for three years and denied him, Jesus reconciled with him. He restored him, and he chose Peter to lead the early church. Peter gave the first sermon on the first day of the church, on the day of Pentecost. Must have been a pretty good sermon because 3,000 people were baptized. And Peter would say, listen, I was with Jesus, and look what I did. If you fall down in your faith walk, get back up. Jesus wants to reconcile with you. He always wants you restored. Then Paul, look at Paul. He was known as a young man for religious zeal, his brutal violence, and his relentless persecution of the early church. Paul had a mission, and that was to eradicate Christians and the early and Christianity. That was his goal in life. The scriptures tell us that he was at the stoning of Stephen. He held people's coats while people killed Stephen, the first martyr. We know the scriptures tell us he would go from house to house, ravaging houses and pulling men and women out and dragging them to court. But we know that God got a hold of Saul and he became Paul. He would go on to write 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. He would earn the nickname, the Apostle of Grace. He would use grace or its derivative 144 times in those 13 books, more than all the writers of the whole rest of the Bible. And I think Paul would look at us and say, listen, you may be praying for somebody, or you may think that person may never come to the Lord. You got to keep praying, because if, the God, if God can change my heart and do what he did in my life, He can change anybody's life. Whatever you do, don't give up praying for those people. I just want to close real quick with four thoughts here as we conclude this. The first thing is, as you look at the heroes of this faith, you can see that faith is a journey. And many of them started out slow. They start out rocky. Some of them fell down. But here they are in the Hall of Fame of Faith. The important thing is that you don't look back and that you just keep going and that you remain strong. It's also about perspective. This is one of the things that will be talked about in life groups this week. Kyle Eidelman deals with perspective. But so often we can have our own perspective where we feel like a victim or we can see that our our circumstances are so different that we can't pull out of them because of this. But these heroes of the faith can give us a different perspective. Hey, they flourished even though they had circumstances that were so similar to mine. And we can take their perspective and it can strengthen us. As I said, the latter part of chapter 11 deals with the faceless and nameless Christians who were persecuted, who were killed, who were on the run, but they were commended for their faith. And it's not about going out and doing something big and famous. It's about remaining faithful to the very end. And just the last thought, we may or may not see the fruit of our labors. You may pray and pray for someone your entire life, but maybe they might come to the Lord after you pass away. You may... Just sow the seed of somebody who may go away from you and you may not see them again, but somebody else waters that seed. 
you may turn around and, and you have a child that you keep trying to give the Lord to him or her and they reject it, but maybe later on in their life they finally accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. You may or may not see it. And it will change the legacy of your family. So don't ever base how faithful you are or, you know, just keep going. Don't give up because you may not be seeing results. They will come in the due course of time. I just want to challenge you as you're sitting there and thinking about what these heroes of the faith have said to you. Would you just be thinking about which one of them has spoke to you? Was it Abel, who basically didn't do much of anything other than get killed? Was it Moses, who got a lot of opposition, even in his faithfulness? Was it Joseph, who started out life in a really bad family situation? Was it Enoch, who just basically lived his life trying to please the Lord? Was it Rahab, who had a very promiscuous past, and here she is in the Hall of Fame of Faith and the genealogy of Jesus? and ended up living with the, the Israelites, was it, or did, did, do you relate to David, who while he did a lot of good things, he was a train wreck at times? Or was it maybe Peter, you've fallen down during your faith walk, and he's saying, get up, get up, Jesus wants to restore you? Or was it Paul that spoke to you? Because maybe you're the person who you're like, I, I, I never want to give my life to Jesus, but maybe he is calling you to give your life to him this morning. Or maybe he's just telling you, hey, start praying for these people. Never give up on anybody praying for them to come to faith. Just focus in on which of these heroes of the faith spoke to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now. What a group of Hall of Famers. So many of them have spoke to me this week because I'm always looking at myself in the mirror when I'm preaching. I hope that this is an encouragement to every single one of us. You are a God of grace. You want nothing more than for every single one of us to be with you in heaven. You don't care about our past. What you care about is our future. You don't care about us getting our act together before we come to you. You want us to come to you as we are, and you'll take care of helping us grow in you. You'll grow us, and you'll clean us up. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for your word. And as we go out through this week, help us to be a light to those that need your son, Jesus. We thank you for Jesus now as we celebrate communion and remember what he did for us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.